Is your loved one suffering from drug addiction or alcoholism? Hope is Alive is an organization with a proven track record of helping addicted men and women radically change their lives. With 20 plus homes across the U.S., Hope is Alive Sober Mentoring Program provides safe, structured, and faith-based environments where men and women can truly change. In fact, over 80% of the residents who complete the 18-month program celebrate a fully recovered life. If you or someone you love is ready to make a change, Hope is Alive is your next step. For more information, visit hopeisalive.net. I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help. And I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers podcast well welcome back to the hope dealers podcast here we are episode 12 i am your host sean fitzpatrick and today it's a very special episode yes i say that every week but hey man these are all special and today really is because i don't have one i don't have two but i've got three guests here in the studio with me today i've got three of the program managers from Oklahoma City. I've got Mr. Ethan Springle. Hello. I've got Mr. Blake Brannon. Hello. And I've got Mr. Trevor Mathis. Hello. So they've all decided to be weird with how they say hello. I Let's love go. it. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thank you, the listeners, for uh, joining us for a good roundtable discussion. You know, as we wrap up 2022 in what has arguably been the best year of Hope is Alive, I was thinking about this, like, this has been... A great year, but this is like the fourth year I've gone through. This is the first year for a lot of people, including the three of you, as far as being on staff with Hope is Alive. So, you know, whoever wants to jump in first, but like, you know, Blake, uh, what have you seen this year in 2022 that's been, you know, amazing for you? Um, one of the most amazing things would be uh, one of my residents who uh, came in as an atheist you know, he's given his life to Christ and been baptized wow. this year. That's so good. Yeah. So good. And so, Blake, you oversee two homes in North Oklahoma City. H2 and H4. Yes. Correct. And uh, just a fun tidbit for the listener, Blake and I used to live together at H4. Yes. A while back, I was his house manager. He was. Blake was a different version. Oh, yeah. I was uh, uh, a lot to deal with. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, I know that I was a lot to deal with. I was telling the story earlier today to somebody, to, I think it was to Jade, about uh, I came home one day and I was really excited about some Oreos that I had in oh, the pantry. Go. And uh, I'm never going to live this down. No, never. Um, I, was, I was driving home and I knew that I had like some chocolate Oreos and some vanilla Oreos in the pantry. And I was so excited. I walked in. And both of them were empty, but they were still put back on my shelf. Just empty. I don't empty. think I ate all of them. Though. I, well, I definitely ate some of them. <laughs> I just remember overreacting to that. And then I went out and bought you like yeah. two or three packs of Oreos. I put it in the group text. I said, who ate my Oreos? This is not cool. No one said a word. And I remember just seeing Blake walk in with like these puppy dog eyes and a bag from Uptown Grocery. He was like, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and that sorry. was the mystery of who ate my Oreos, <laughs> but you're doing great now. Yeah. Doing so good. Um, Trevor, 
our uh, our man on the south side of Oklahoma City. You oversee H5 and H6. That's correct. And uh, just talk a little bit about some miracles you've seen in 2022. Yeah, so one miracle is I have a resident that um, is all the way from North Carolina, um, spent 30 years in addiction, um, and he's not only restored his relationship with his family out there in North Carolina, he's gotten saved and baptized out here. Yes. And he's also... Um, you know, planning to work for us, uh, eventually. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, when we talk about that radical life change, that's what, you know, that's the epitome of it is him. Absolutely. And the gentleman you're talking about, we won't say his name yet. Um, cause I think he's going to probably be a guest on here at some point soon, but I was actually in North Carolina, uh, when hope is alive, uh, when he hooked up with hope is alive. And I remember seeing him at one Harbor church. It was, I believe we were yes. doing an event there. And I just remember laying eyes on him and it, <sighs> doesn't matter how long you're around this, you know, there's certain times you can look at someone and you're like, man, that person is just broken. And, yeah. it, and it breaks your heart for them because we've all been there. For sure. Like, yes. And yeah. And you can look yeah. at it and you're like, oh brother, I, I feel you, man. <laughs> like I know, but fast forward all these months later and that guy is just killing seven months, man. Seven he just months. celebrated seven months the other day and um, he is killing it. He's became a leader in the homes. Um, not just his home, but both homes and uh, mentors, the people behind him already, man. And he's just, he's done really well for himself and really wants this thing. And that's what, you know, God can do for us when um, we reach out to him. So absolutely. Very well said. And then Mr. Ethan, we've had Ethan on the uh, podcast before. I, I want to say it was like episode two or three or something. Um, but you're still here in Oklahoma yeah. City. How's it going, man? Uh, good. Came back on uh, November 2nd. Came back from where, just for those who might not know? North Carolina, East okay. Coast. And um, I'm overseeing two houses on the north side, HQ and H3. Uh, interning for the moment under Luke Armstrong. Okay. And uh, will be passed the houses down to me to be able to be a leader. Um, miracle of my life that I've seen, there's a guy not sure if he'll be on the podcast or not but he's from north carolina as well that like we grew up on the same same island together kind of around the same circles and cliques he was really close in with a cousin of mine and family that like to see him in addiction and now it's completely different person he's come out here boots on the ground got himself a car get being able to give back to other residents that it's yeah i'm really proud of him that's awesome man and so you mentioned you're interning right now correct um you know, I think everybody hears the word intern and they kind of get, they kind of get that twisted up a little bit. Like you're not really running around getting coffee for Luke no. or anything. Um, you're essentially doing the job, but you're just, you know, but you're learning. Yeah. Learning how to handle difficult residents, learning like difficult residents. Yeah. A lot of it's learning by doing, yes. um, you know, the back end with computer computer mm -hmm. stuff. I wasn't all too certain with, and he sat down with me and showed me, okay, this is what you do for, intakes and just the kind of procedures behind it. And so it's been a little bit now that you've been back in the city, not living in North Carolina overall, how happy are you here? <sighs> Immaculate. I'm, awesome. I like it. Um, back home that we have marsh grass mm -hmm. and I never in my life thought I would miss it, but I'm, I'm kind of missing it to be honest. And what is that? Uh, it's just like grass that grows around in estuaries and, and okay. bayous. And like, you're missing the grass. Well, the, the smell of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I mean. It's a very, like, local I, North Carolina. Yeah, thing. no, I get it. I mean, I miss the Tex-Mex in Dallas. Uh, I don't necessarily I know. used to like the smell of grass. Okay, fair enough. I know, I, I, I get it. I just, 
That's a that's a good answer, a uh, different answer. Um, like I said, I mean, Trevor and I both being from Dallas, I think we would say we miss the Mexican food there. Absolutely. There's not really a, a tree that I'm hanging on to, but hey, you know, to each his own. You miss the grass. It's, it's probably a smell of home, though. I would yeah, think. like saltwater grass. Is yeah, okay. And the seafood. I don't. I don't trust the seafood out here. Well, I can't. Uh, I can't really argue with you there. My uh, the week I spent there last spring, I think we ate seafood all but one day we were there, and uh, yeah, that seafood slaps. It's amazing, and I will say too the that smell of the saltwater air is pretty incredible. Like even when you go like turn the shower on, and it's like man, like the beach is like right there. Very cool. So, you know. For those of you listening, all three of these guys spend their days leading men through radical life change. And, you know, Lance says this at a lot of our events. We tend to make this look a little too pretty sometimes, a little too easy. Um, you know, Blake, for you, you know, being having done this for close to a year now, what is it, you know, a typical day like for you as a program manager with two houses? You want the play-by-play? Okay, sure. so, uh, you know, I wake up. I make sure everyone's awake. Um, I make sure my guys are at work. Um, and then I make sure the house is clean, check their rooms, just make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing right. as far as what they committed to. Um, and then, you know, I open my computer. I am looking at new applications that come in daily, anywhere from four to five usually. Um and then I'm calling people yeah. um, and I'm just trying to get their version of why they need to get sober um, and why they want to get sober. And if they really want to get sober, because there's a difference sure. Um, in thinking you want to get sober and actually. Doing so it. on that point, I love that you brought that up. Talk a little bit about that for our listeners and especially for the parents out there who might have someone struggling. You know, you said there's a difference between needing to get sober and wanting to get sober. Yeah. I mean, so you could need to get sober because you're going to go to prison if you don't. You know, you could need to get sober because your wife's going to kick you out. Um, right. You could need to get sober because of, you know, a job or some type of repercussions, but that's way different than wanting to get sober. And Trevor, as we know, all those things don't even matter if we no. don't want to get sober. Absolutely not. I mean, if you don't want it, it'll never, the affirmations and everything else is never going to be enough. Yeah, I've had residents come in for multiple different reasons and um, not want it and failed and ultimately yeah. ruined their life, went to prison, what that, whatever that looks like for them. Yeah. Um, and we've been there, I've been there personally, um, and relapsed in the program and then decided to, you know, give my life to Jesus and try this thing out. And, uh, it works if you work it, um, but it doesn't if you don't. So I love that it works if you work it. We hear that a lot in the recovery community, but isn't it crazy, Ethan, that it, <laughs> you hear that so much and it really is true. It's like, here's a little play by play. And I'm not just talking about 12 step programs. I'm talking about our program in, in general, but it's like, here, we'll lay it out for you. If you do this, you'll have success. It, yeah, it gets so like, I don't want to say monotonous. Yeah. You hear it constantly. And then you see the people that are, you know, putting in the work and doing what, you know, the guy ahead of them t told them, it'd be a house manager, program manager, sponsor, that like they're putting in the work that it's, they're being told. And you see that kind of radical change within them. The people that don't, you know, they kind of weed themselves off or just, nothing really changes in them. 
Yeah. I know we're not on a video podcast here, but I think, can we all raise our hands and agree that at some point or another, we tried to get sober for somebody else? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yes. We're all raising our hands. Very good. I remember at least three times that I got sober for somebody else. And simply put, they stopped giving me attaboys. Mm. Because as far as they're concerned, and I've said this a lot on here, that's what I should have been doing all along. So why should they keep on, you know? So really, it does not matter if we don't do it for ourselves. And I want the parents out there to hear that if you've got someone struggling with addiction, listen, there's a meeting for you right now. Head over to Finding Hope. There's 40 meetings across the country. And I know that right now the place you're in could be very dark, but until your loved one is ready to take that step for themselves and no one else, you know, the uh, finding hope is a solution for you. That's so true. Trevor, <clears throat> my friend from Dallas, I love it. I love having a fellow Dallas person. In Let's here. go. Um, you mentioned a minute ago that you relapsed while you were in the program. I remember when that happened, but you came right back, you mm -hmm. know, a little hiccup. Um, and now you're leading two homes, one of which you came up in as a resident. Yes. What's that like, man? Um, it's, it's different, uh, for sure. Um, I'm very grateful. There's a lot of gratitude in that, you know, going back to the relapse. Um, when I did that, um, one of the only people reached out to me while I was sitting in a hotel alone for three days. If y'all don't know, we have relapse procedures in the home. So people aren't just hired drunk in our homes. Um, and I had to go to a hotel for three days and my sponsor today was the one who, um, reached out to me and he was like, if you need anything, let me know. And I was like, Hey, I need help. Um, I need to do it now. I'm running out of options. And he was like, okay, well, there's two things. You got to surrender to me and take direction. Yeah. It's like your life will change. And then, you know, fast forward a year down the line um, and I'm leading men to the same place, um, doing the same things my sponsor and, you know, my fellow boss, Luke, has shown me and just doing that to them, like leading them to a better way of life. Um, and it, it it's crazy um, yeah. that somebody that was so broken, somebody that's been to prison, somebody that's um, been in, awful spots in my life. Uh, somebody gives me like the ability to show others what a good life looks like and show Jesus to them. Um, and that's very important in my day now. And, uh, I, uh, I would not want it any other way than what, you know, we're doing right now. Yeah, for sure. But Blake, and I want you to touch on this just, and I know all three of you could speak to this, but we're kind of just ping ponging around here. Um, not, none of you have graduated the program yet. Um, wow. How important is it while you're leading everybody else to, you know, through their programs to recovery that you have to remember you still have a program to work? Mm. Um, yeah, well, my guys that I've been put in charge of that I'm a leader for, um, their growth is dependent on my growth. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, we all have to put in our own um, our own work and our own personal recovery. But if I'm not getting better, my guys aren't going to get better. And if I'm not learning to be a better leader, um, then my guys are just going to get complacent and get stagnant. And I know what happens, you know, by yeah. experience, you go back out um, or, or worse. Yeah. And that's the thing about being a leader, whether you're a house manager, whether you're a program manager, whether you're a one of our directors up here, whether you're on the manager level, whatever it is, um, the people that are, you know, under you, following you, uh, even if they don't know it, they're watching every single thing you do, even if they're not doing it intentionally. Am I right, Ethan? Yeah. 
I mean, I, and I ask you that because you're currently, you got someone that you're directly following yeah. in order to gain the position that you're going for. And so if Luke was, you know, not doing, not checking his computer at night and not really stopping by the houses, there's probably a little part of you that would be like, well, I guess I really don't have to do that. Right. He's not doing it. Why should I have to? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That, um, that if residents, residents see that like, I'm not reading two pages out of the big book a day, then like they won't, if like the, within the sponsorship that myself and Trevor are along, um, you know, we have certain certain things we're supposed to do every day to be plugged in with the recovery scene just outside of HIA. And um, I feel like if the residents see us slacking in some areas, they feel like it's going to be okay for them too. And like, it's, it's a very dangerous gamble. Yeah. I'm actually part of the same sponsorship line as you guys. And you're right. That's right. It's an, it's an everyday thing. And something I noticed uh, after I graduated the program about a year ago was like, Oh, well I don't have as much accountability now. Mm. Um, but here's the thing, like, that's why I graduated the program Yeah, because I'm supposed to be ready to go out and do that on my own. And I'm not saying I didn't go to AA for three months. I don't think I missed a couple weeks, but mm-hmm. a leader doesn't get to pick and choose when he leads either. Very yeah. good. So, I mean, that's what I always fall back on is like when, um, and that's part of integrity. And, uh, you see that, uh, all the way up our food chain up to Lance is like, we don't see Lance very often, but he's always leading, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we don't get to pick and choose. And that's part of the integrity part of it is that when I'm alone, what am I doing on my own time? Am I working my program recovery? Cause my program is more vital than anybody else's. Cause I can't lead these guys if I'm not working a program anyways. Um, so I always remember that, um, is like, I can't pick and choose when I want to lead that I have to do the things behind the scenes. And when nobody's watching, um, where there's no growth in me or my home. So yeah, that's good. That's really good, Trevor. I like that. And you know, I used to always tell a lot of guys this when I was a house manager and I still tell some guys that I work with on my team this, it's like, at the end of the day, if you know that you did everything that day that you were supposed to be doing, and only you know, really, in your heart, if you did everything you were supposed to be doing, you should get a good night's sleep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's kind of like little things like in the phase work of being a Hope is Alive resident, like you got to read some books. Well, I don't think the PM is going to sit down and quiz you on that book. Right. I mean, are any of you guys quizzing residents on books? No, no, it's a program of honesty, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if, you, um, if you don't work an honest program, yeah. you probably won't make it. So. Exactly. But you can tell when they're lying to you too, like anybody, anybody in this world, like you can tell if somebody's lying to you, you know what I mean? And so yeah. they don't even know the name of the book. So, yeah. <laughs> but I read one. Yeah. I read, I read a book. What's it called? Oh, I, I'd have to go find that out. <laughs> Yeah, you get somebody telling you three one-on-ones in a row that they finished the circle maker. Yeah. Not thinking you were taking notes. Yeah. I love it. So, you know, which of you here, I'm trying to look, who is the closest to graduating of the three of you? Probably Trevor. Trevor. Yeah, Yeah, I've actually been done with the program for just about a year, a little over a year now. Mm. Um, I, you know, the plan was not to come on staff. So I was about to graduate (laughs) last January and then I was like, oh, I'll stay till July to get some extra um, savings because I was a house manager at the time. Sure. And then, uh, you know, God works in mysterious ways. So, uh, you know, with, with that being said is that I'm reworking um, my process addiction steps and I, I'm constantly doing AA steps and stuff like that. Um, this program never gives up even after you graduate. And you could probably speak more to that because you've been graduated for a while now. Um just because I finished a phase work doesn't mean like I don't keep working it. Like I have to work these things forever. 
Absolutely. I want to touch back on something you said that made me laugh. You said the plan was to not come on staff. Yeah. I think Blake and I and Ethan will probably tell you that, like, uh, no, the plan for us was totally to come on staff at some point. For sure. And I feel yeah. like, I don't know, let's let's call it 97% mm -hmm. of the people who work here would say, like, as soon as they got a taste of this all, they were like, I want to work here. Yeah. What was it that, you, that called you here if that wasn't the plan? Um, a lot of faith. Uh, I, I kind of surrendered, uh, you know, money mm. to my financial reasons to Jesus. And uh, that's when I came on staff. I was holding on to that, uh, um, making a lot more money than I do today. Yeah. And I didn't want to humble myself enough and let God take over. And I knew he would provide, but I didn't want him to. I wanted to provide for myself. A lot of ego and a lot of pride um, and a lot of uncertainty. Um, that I had within myself to, if I was even able to amount up to Luke in general. Sure. Um, We've all got that. Yeah. That, that one person. <laughs> Grant. Um, Grant. Yeah, yeah. Both you and I, you and me both brother on the Grant front. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation and a lot of just, you know, um, I had a pat, my pastor today told me he was like, uh, I took 85% pay cup to be a pastor. He was like, you think I wanted to do that? He was like, no, but Jesus was telling me to. So I kind of used that as like a, you know, a pillar in my own recovery. And, you know, I really wanted to help others. And what's a better way to do it than, you know, save others from addiction and alcoholism, right? Yeah. Be somewhere you're called and work somewhere where you believe mm -hmm. in what the place is doing. Yeah. You know, I got a call from my mom yesterday. We've got a family member um, that's struggling with addiction right now. And she called me and said, uh, I just wanted to get, you know, your advice on this because this is kind of your area of expertise. And I was like, hey, hold on, back up. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I'm a, I'm a marketing manager up here. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all joking aside, that is something that I do love about working here is that I believe in what's going on and I get to do something that makes me happy every day. Absolutely. It's and it has been the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, guys, how rare would you say it is really? to get to work, to get to love what you do? Very. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no, I, yeah, like, Very. Um, you know, I'm 34. I've had a few jobs in my life sure. and I can remember like, I'd work at a job and somebody would be like, oh, I've worked here 10 years, 15 years. I couldn't even fathom that. Mm. Why would I want to be here 10 years? Now, this place, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Ever, ever. I love this thing. <laughs> So good. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and wrap this up with some advice for the holidays and maybe uh, even some stories from the holidays. We'll be right back. Is your spouse or child drinking or using drugs? Do you need help understanding the why? Finding Hope support groups were specifically created for the loved ones of addicts and alcoholics. Through our free meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones impacted by addiction. You're not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. Say yes to recovery and hope today and visit findinghope.today. But would y'all say that I mean, Austin really is weird. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is Absolutely. The, is it the people or the city? Because I used to live there. And the city. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. The people. Oh, the, the people. people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, you're not weird. I'm not weird. I think I'm kind of weird. You are kind of weird, but so are we. We're <laughs> addicts. I think. And alcoholics. So. That's kind of the beauty, though. I think we're all a little bit weird. Yeah. Right. Uh, I lived in Austin for a little bit. Um, I was supposed to go to UT, and uh, 
Yeah, me too. Texas Department <laughs> of Corrections had a better idea for me. Oh. I had a full ride scholarship for academics. <laughs> and uh, Texas was like, no, we're going to send you to uh, jail for the rest of your life. Yeah. So we are back. Thank you uh, so much for joining in today. Guys, Christmas is right around the corner. Amen. And for those of us who have racked up a little bit of sobriety, it's a pretty fun thing to be able to enjoy the holidays again. But that does not mean we forget how rough the holidays were when we were trapped in our addiction. Mm. Um, any one of you can jump in on this, but I just kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, some stories from Christmas that have stuck with you even to this day. Um, Cause you know, it's hard to forget those things, but we don't let it bring us down. We let it make us stronger and we let us, you know, it lets us be proud of ourselves for where we are today. So whoever wants to jump in, I'll go ahead. Um, you know, early in my addiction, in my early 20s, like, I would go to Christmas, but I was always high on weed. Mm. Always high on weed. And then, like, once my addiction progressed to, like, where I was doing coke all the time, um, and then eventually meth, like, so probably 28, 29, 30, I just quit going. Um, I can remember just being high on meth and being at, like, my house on Christmas or going to the casino, which is even worse, and just... It's very lonely time. The addiction um, just puts you in a place where you don't want to be. It's sad that like I would choose to not go to my family's house that like loves the death out of me. Um, was your family big into Christmas? Like was that extremely a big? big. Okay. It was a, a, a very big um, deal at my grandmother's house. Cousins, aunts, uncles. Yeah. Everyone got together. I love that. It's a really good thing you brought up. You know, it just becomes a lonely time. And this thing that we used to look forward to when we were kids, uh, now we're not looking forward to it because it's just a day of reminding us where we're at. And it kind of, I said this on Amy's podcast a while back, it's its just putting a spotlight on us. We, f we feel like mm. on how good we're not doing at the moment. Who else? Who else? Yeah, I remember going... Uh you know, I spent a couple of Christmases um, locked up before I, um, you know, even got to like a deep addiction. Mm -hmm. um, I've been, you know, sober on Christmas for the last three years. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, you know, I've been grateful for that. But I remember three years ago, um, you know, before I got out here, uh, I vividly remember going to my aunts and uncles on my mom's side and, uh, you know, having to go to the bathroom like every 20 minutes to snort a line of Coke because I've been up for like a day and a half um, on um, ecstasy. And I was like, man, this sucks. Mm. Like, I feel so bad. I know they know. Yeah. Like, I've been up. Like, you can tell when somebody's been awake. And it was so miserable. And I just, my heart hurt for that. But I couldn't do anything about it because I was so addicted to it. That was my next question was, you know, did all of your families know that this was going on? 100%. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, for myself, I'll jump in here. Um, yeah. I know the past couple of years I quit going to Christmas on my mom's side because I could just feel that level of like judgment, judgment, judgmental. Yeah. Um, and on my dad's side, the past couple of years, my grandfather passed away, then my grandmother. So that kind of shook up the family. Um, Christmas last year, I remember going and just every 10, 20 minutes sneaking away to go and like rip dabs in the car like Papa Percocet and then I'm like slumped on the couch. So they like, they realized like what was going on. Yeah. So it feels, 
maybe overwhelming, but it feels good to be able to actually be there and be present for mm-hmm. Christmas this year and be able to like enjoy it. Yeah. And it's nice that we can give them a break. They don't yeah. have to worry about us. Yeah. They can worry about the normal things. Did I get enough ice? Like, did someone pick up the turkey? Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's me, guys. I, I get it. Like, with my parents, both of them, even though they've been separated for about 10 years now, um, that was the thing. Wh- whoever I was spending it with, was I was. I they were just having to worry about me the whole time. Was I going to make a scene? Was I going to drink too much? Was I, yeah. you know... Um, I did, you know, Blake, I get it. I did have a couple of years there where I just didn't go. Uh, I figured it'd be better for everyone. I remember one year staying home and watching a documentary on OJ Simpson. That's a hmm. wonderful uh, thing to watch on Christmas day. And then walking down to a hotel and having some drinks by myself. Um, and I look back on that now and I'm sure all three of you would agree. It is hard to think about but at the same point in time, it just makes me over the moon grateful. Yeah. Very grateful. For where I am today. Yeah. Absolutely. I've just um, been in a whole state of gratitude this entire week, really. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's good. You know, I always tell a lot of my new friends that come into recovery, it's like, you can't just pretend like that stuff didn't happen. We have to acknowledge yeah. it um, because that's how fast we are or how, uh, sorry, how close we are. <laughs> Yeah. To going back there. Yeah. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I, I remember, like, I make, make it a point in my day, to, like, today to remember, like, those hard times and that stuff. Because I can easily get off on, like, an island by myself and think I'm able to go drink or use and that there's mm-hmm. not a problem with me. I'm only 25 years old, man. Um, but then I have to remember, like, what I've done in my life or, like, the lack thereof, you know. Um, sure. The the misery, like just the misery that I lived through for like the last seven years. Um, and, you know, going back to that, uh, that question you asked, uh, did your parents know? Um, I was grateful to have like really good parents. Um, my stepmom and my dad, my real mom passed away when I was four. Um, but this, she's like my mom and they had, uh, actually been talking to a rehab for like two years prior to me asking for help. But you know, my dad was a big fan of, uh, like nobody can help you until you want to help yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I had rehab lined up and all that. And it was, I was grateful for that. And I, today, at least I didn't want to go then, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So you mentioned something a minute ago. I want to touch on, you said, you know, you'll be sitting there and think about how you're only 25 mm-hmm. and you should be able to go back out and drink. Yeah. Um, how old are you, Ethan? 25 as well. Okay, Trevor so is five days older than me. Y'all are 25. Blake and I are both in our mid-30s. Yes. Okay, so this is something important for our listeners. There's always going to be an excuse. Hey, uh-huh. man, I'm 34 years old. I'm 33 years old. No one's going to tell me to not go have a drink. Back off. Hey, man, I'm 25 years old. What do you want me to do? Just never drink again? There's never going to be a good time, guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The phenomenon of craving kicks in, man, and I go off to the races for months and, you know, years at a time, like, off that one drink. Like, I get that one taste of, like, and I'm gone. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot. Play that tape out, for those of you who are listening, who think you're ready to go have a drink during during Christmas this weekend. What's going to happen after that one drink? I'm going to go smoke meth after I have one drink, and then I'm going to go to the casino and spend all of my money. Okay. That is what will happen Absolute, if I yeah. if I have one drink. One drink. If I have one drink, 
It's going to piss me off because it didn't get me drunk. So I'm going to go and get another drink and a shot with it. It's not quite hit yet, so I'm going to get another. And then, yeah. and then I'm making that run to the liquor store to get a bottle. Um, probably getting quarter ounce or half ounce of weed or whatever else I can get. I mean, it's, it's going to be a spiral that I'm taking myself out and anybody else saying no within my path. Mm-hmm. I'm going to close the bar down um, and probably go to the strip club. But um, I uh, I also like fentanyl. And for y'all don't that, who doesn't know about fentanyl, it's like the leading cause of uh, death in the United States right now. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I might die, you know, if I have a drink. Um, and we all say that. But I like I, I would go straight to fentanyl because um, I like the way that makes me feel. And I, you know, could die. Yeah, so for our listeners, you just heard three examples of what would happen if these guys took one drink. So it's not just one drink. It's never just one drink. No. If it was just one drink, we wouldn't be here. Correct. Right now. Yeah. Correct. I uh, Trevor remembers this. I, I shared my story mm. with the men on the south side. So good. Uh, in the summertime, I said, near the end, I said, I just want to remind you all of something. Uh, none of you were drafted, and I hope was alive. Absolutely. Heck yeah. You all had to come here for a reason. Lance Lang wants you. <laughs> yes. Well, no, actually, correct. I get the, I get the joke, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, I think a lot of us, I mean, we've all been there. All four of us, at some time or another, have felt like... <laughs> That they were lucky to have us here. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The first time I was here, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I remember. 100%. I still feel like that today. Yeah. We, we forget that the reason we came in the first place is because our lives completely fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back but to But I had all the answers. Codes. I had all of the answers every the first time I was here. Yeah. And we have those culture codes on our walls in every single one of our homes. And one of them is like, we get to be here, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we, we try to live by these culture codes. Uh that I guess Lance um, made, mm-hmm. y'all made a long time ago. And they, they, you know, if you live those out, your life will radically change. Um, and one of them is we get to be here. And, you know, like the the word that, you know, aligns with that is gratitude. Yes. Like be grateful that I, I have to remind myself every day that I'm, I, I need to be grateful to be living here and having this type of life because there is an alternative for every single one of us and everybody out there. Um, and it's, you know, drugs, alcohol, death, prison, you know, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I hear it a lot to this day with some new residents. It's like, you know, you're here because of you. No, I'm here because my wife made me come here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because of you. Yeah. Well, no, I'm here because the courts made me come here. Right. Because of you. It's never going to be not you guys. That's a good word. And I love how we can all sit here and agree that, yeah, there was a time when we thought that we were special that we were, you know, hope is alive should be stoked that we're, they were, we were gracing <laughs> them with our presence. Um, but today we don't have to live like that. And that's a big saying around here anymore is we don't have to live that way anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ethan, when you hear that, you know, we don't have to live that way anymore. What does that mean for you? Man. Um, not going back into like old ways, old patterns. If I see myself like starting to scroll on Instagram, looking up profiles that it's like, I know that that'll eventually develop into like trying to hide and keep secrets and like eventually trying to get dating apps, trying to like have a secret link that it's like, it's not going to bring me anything I want. Right. It's like Luke says it all the time. You get away with one thing, you know, you, you do one thing, get away with it. 
it builds and builds until it topples over. Yeah. And, um, just trying to be completely honest, it was something I had never really been before. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I was honest was when I was talking to the drug dealer of how much drugs I wanted. Yeah. So, and, um, something I've never had before because in my addiction, I went hard and now I'm trying to go just as hard, if not harder in sobriety. That's a good word. This is a life I've never known. I've never lived. So trying to, to learn the ins and outs of it. Yeah. How to live a successful life in sobriety. I remember talking to my uh, cousin when I first came in here and I said, I'm trying to work my recovery with both feet, like work this thing with both feet in. And she said, you do everything with both feet in. That's mm-hmm. why you're there. So take that and apply it to your recovery. I love how you pretty much, that's pretty much what you just said, if I'm not mistaken, you know, trying to take that and go just as hard here, if not harder yeah. than you did in your addiction. Blake, what about you? What does it mean for you when you hear we don't have to live that way anymore? Um, I don't have to hide. You know, yeah. Kind of like what Ethan said. I don't have to constantly be living a lie and I don't have to constantly be running after my next hit. Mm. Um, and um, my life isn't so stressful these days. Yeah. That's very good. Trevor. Yeah. Um, I think uh, me not living like that anymore is like just what Blake just shared is like not living in my false self. Um, we work uh, what we call the rings of addiction and we want to get back to our true self. Um, and, uh, and that's where I want to be is my true self. And like what my true self looks like is surrendering, yes. um, not complying to the rules, not complying to other people in their direction, but actually surrendering to Jesus and another man. Yeah. Um, therefore they can direct my life better than I can. Yes. And that's what it looks like that not to live like that anymore. That's good, guys. That's good. Well, before we close up today, I want to ask you all one more round of questions. And this is not for me. This is for the listener. To that, to that person out there who might be struggling right now or to the family member who has someone that's still struggling or even if it's a fresh resident who this is their first Christmas, you know, doing this thing clean and sober and is kind of questioning, what would you say to that person? Start us off, Trevor. I think I would uh, tell you, um, go get honest. Um, get honest with yourself and get honest with somebody in your house or in wherever you're at. Get honest with somebody else and ask for help. Um, if you're already in Hope is Alive and you're listening to this, get honest with your house manager, anybody, um, your program manager. Uh, but you need to get honest. Um, we can't help if we don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I, I tell them that all the time. Is like, I'm willing to help you and go to any links for you, but if I don't know about it, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for anybody who's out there struggling and in, in addiction right now, um, that's the same way. Like, your family can't help you. They don't know you want it. Right. Um, so go go get honest with somebody, man, and honesty is the best policy. So. Absolutely. Ethan, what you think? Um, I believe it's like somebody that's in recovery. If you have a sponsor, call your sponsor. Cause I mean, it like Trevor just said it, we can't help if we don't know. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's tough time. Cause I mean, we, we go back to what's comfortable and mm-hmm. drinking and using it's comfortable to us. So yeah. it's, um, so I mean, to be able to grow, you have to do what's uncomfortable. Absolutely. That's good, brother. Blake, Just, you're wearing the finding hope hoodie. Come on. Yes. So very comfy. Why don't you speak if you could, um, to that person out there who's got a family member or a loved one 
still struggling, what would you say to them as you know, as we head into the holidays? Don't give up. Don't give up. Um, you know, uh, my family prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Yep. And kept praying, and it took sixteen years. Yeah. You know, um, this is not going to be an overnight thing, um, but keep praying because it works. My family kept praying and eventually, um, yeah, I got there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, gentlemen, thank you all so much for joining us here on this episode of the Hope Dealers podcast. You've all been amazing. I think uh, I'm... I'm sure we'll have Blake back in here to do his story. Yes. Trevor, I'm sure we'll get you back in here. Ethan, we've heard your story, but hey, maybe for season two, we'll get you back in for uh, a life update. An update on what's going on soon. That's why I was kind of reserved. I was like, I want to save all the good stuff. (laughs) Well, uh, again, thank you all so much. This has been a blast. Thank you, Sean. Thank Thank you for having us. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I love these guys so much. So proud of all of you. Y'all are... uh, Y'all are killing it out there. Y'all are the true leaders in this thing. When we say hope dealers, we think about you guys, the ones that are really leading these guys to radical life change every single day. If this is your first time listening to the Hope Dealers podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Share this with someone who needs to hear it, especially heading into Christmas. We will see you again next time. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. To hold me back, take my time, just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so good.